if we're driving innovation inside of our four walls, you know, we're going to miss the mark. There's things that we know that we need to do if we're going to say, hey, this is going to make a contractor's life easier, better, faster. They need to be involved in that. It doesn't make sense for us to think that our engineers can know all be all. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. And today, behind the scenes, we have Ethan Young doing our production work. So our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide timely and forward-looking information regarding the construction world. As part of that, we look at new innovations as well as trends and practices, building materials, the labor market, and leadership. Basically, if we pick up on something happening that is impacting the construction and remodeling industry now, and we believe it's going to continue to impact in the future, we go out and find an expert on that subject and bring them onto the show to share their insight and knowledge. Today, we are talking to a longtime building materials executive, Adam Mazzella with Mazzella Companies. Uh, he is their executive vice president, and of course, they have Sheffield Metals International as well as New Tech. Adam, thank you very much for being on Construction Disruption today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Uh, excited to be here, and thanks for, thanks for the invite. Well, thank you again. Why, why don't you tell uh, our audience a little bit about Mazella Companies and uh, what you folks do and, you know, whatever history you want to share on the company as well. So my grandfather started the business uh, back in 1954. So we're pushing almost 70 years in business. Fantastic. Started out as a uh, wire rope company. So predominantly focusing on the material handling, handling industry, selling wire rope, slings and things, chain slings, synthetic slings, kind of you name it. My dad got into the business and uh, started it as two locations, and today all of Mazella Companies is, I want to say, about 38 locations, over 800 employees. He's really blown the business up. Um, my brother Matt and I are fortunate enough to be in the business as third generation and love carrying the business forward. Uh, my brother Matt's mostly on the uh, lifting and crane side. And I'm on the metal roofing side, which is uh, Sheffield Metals and New Tech Machinery. And a lot of that growth on the metal side has been under your leadership. Am I correct on that? I would say I've been a part of awesome teams throughout the years. My big business mentor, uh, Mike Blake, we started transition a few years back. Uh, I, I look at Mike as kind of uh, an absolute tactician operationally, purchasing-wise. I've been humbled to learn under him and, and uh, focus on the sales and marketing aspect. And as Mike's transitioned out, uh, we've been able to build a fantastic team on both sides of the business, both New Tech and Sheffield, as I've transitioned into a overall leadership role. So, of course, you know, the dynamics of family businesses are always interesting, but it's interesting that, you know, you ended up on the metal side of it. Your brother went the other way. How did that decision end up being? Was it just the preference that both of you had or I think it was kind of kind of sort of natural I mean I, I you know violated a lot of labor laws growing up working in rigging shops and, and assembling wire rope slings from like age 12 on I mean my grandpa used to bring me into the shop 
and show me how to to Flemish various wire rope slings uh, as a young child. And uh, my great-grandfather, my grandfather carried patents on various wire rope slings for years. And so that's what I always thought I would be doing. And uh, I was always into architecture. And I graduated college, got into the business, went and got my green belt in Lean Six Sigma, and just so happened to do a lean project for Sheffield Metals and uh, struck up a relationship with Mike Blake. And um, kind of one thing led to another, had an opportunity to uh, move into inside sales there at a remote location, uh, Denver, and, and started the branch there and really just worked my way up. Just fell in love with it, in, in all honesty. Like I said, I always enjoyed architecture. It was somewhat more appealing than anything we we did on the lifting side. It was never that the lifting side was a turnoff, just was really fascinated by the metals, the architectural side of it. And at that time, it was just Sheffield Metals and, and just seemed to be a great fit. Neat. Well, I know when you and I first met, you had to explain to me what wire rope slings were. So I'm kind of thinking probably some of our audience doesn't realize where they're used and the industries they're used. So could you tell us a little bit about that since we've used the term several times? Absolutely. It's it's something that's everywhere and you kind of don't really notice it. And so it's like talking to somebody that, you know, oh yeah, I do metal shingles. Well, wait, really? You know, where do I see those? And you, you when you start to look for it, you kind of see it everywhere. So in construction, it, it's what you use to lift stuff with. And, you know, it's uh, a crane, you know, that's lifting heavy, making heavy lifts. You'll see that there. You'll see rigging, anything that hangs below the hook on the crane. There's lifting devices. When you go into a large manufacturing facility, look up. You might see a, a big overhead crane. Uh, we do that. And then, you know, a wire rope sling. All it is is a, it, it's, I don't want to, you know, under undersell this, but it's a essentially a steel rod that's braided into a rope, similar to how a, you know, a, any rope would be made, but it's done with steel. And there's dozens, if not hundreds of construction methods for how the wire rope strand is made. And it's all based off of the application or the end application. If you're making a sling, it's a various rope. If it's a construction cable for a crane, it's a different kind of rope. If it's a uh, cable that's in a steel mill for a process crane, it's a different kind of rope. So there's a real, real high level of expertise as as that relates that I don't want to profess to have, but we've got a lot of awesome people on that side of the business that kind of live there. Very cool. I know uh, here in the last year or so, we had uh, moved a new stamping press into our facility, and I was looking at uh, some of the uh, wire rope and, and things that were being used there. And uh, uh, this was a pretty large press, but uh, just astounding to watch that be moved and to see the uh, skill that the folks had who knew how to do that well. Not to mention, may have been some of your product being used to do the lifting. I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it's a real, you know, specialty. I mean, it, yeah. there's there's no shortage of training and expertise and, and years that you have to go through to really become an expert in that world. So. So kind of switching gears a little bit, I know that as part of your work, you work with a lot of contractors, you're involved with some of the leading trade associations uh, in the metals industry as well. What are some of the trends that you're seeing or hearing about out there in, uh, you know, construction, be it products or practices, maybe even trends in leadership and management? What are some of the trends you're seeing out there that you think our industry needs to be paying attention to, especially 
younger folks who are serious about careers in this industry? I think we've talked about it in our previous work, but the number one thing in the construction world is labor. And and how are we going to do more with less? And part of that really needs to be what's driving innovation to allow companies to do that. You know, we kind of view roofing and roofing installations as manufacturing. It's just your job site's not a factory or where you're performing the work isn't a factory. It's a job site. So how can we help make people more efficient in their manufacturing, I think, is a big focus. And, you know, us being predominantly focused on the standing seam world, that's really where we want to hone our what's going to make a roofing contractor's life easier, better, faster, less waste, higher productivity. So from a traditional Sheffield Metals perspective, you know, we we run these businesses as separate as possible. And we just say that from the perspective of, yes, they are both Mozilla companies. Yes, I am over, over both of them. But, you know, we want the Sheffield Metals people waking up thinking about you know, metal roofing and sheet and coil and how they can better service their customers that need metal roofing. Yes, their customers may need standing seam machines or gutter machines, things like that. And that's something that they help with. But we want the people on New Tech being the experts there. So, you know, where we try to kind of cross paths really is when you have a need over here, then we can, you know, flip the switch and bring somebody from New Tech over to, to help them with that. So, Try to run them separate. You know, we want people waking up thinking about staples as far as Sheffield goes and thinking about the stapler as far as new tech machinery goes. Sure. Gotcha. You know, I think it's interesting as I look at contractors out there, and you and I have both worked with a lot over the years, I find some are really receptive to that idea of having suppliers that they can partner with and that they can share ideas with. And, you know, there's others that haven't quite seen that as something that's important in their business yet. But I think it's really going to be increasingly important. Later on this week, in fact, we had a sort of a summit meeting scheduled with one of our leading customers to talk specifically about, you know, what are the things that we as a manufacturer can do to speed up your time on the job site? Unfortunately, we had to postpone due to illness and and, uh, schedule it later. I just heard from them this morning that they're not going to be able to make it up after all. But I'm kind of curious. So those are the types of relationships it sounds like both Sheffield and NewTek want to have with your customers. Do you find that also that some customers are more receptive to that than others? Particularly on the NewTek side. I mean, these are the people that our handling machinery and and figuring out what works, what doesn't work. If we're driving innovation inside of our four walls, particularly on the machinery side, you know, we're going to miss the mark. And and we have done that. I mean, there's things that we know that we need to do to, if we're going to say, hey, this is going to make a contractor's life easier, better, faster, they need to be involved in that. Um, And it's not that they're going to have stake in it or ownership, but it doesn't make sense for us to think that our engineers can know all be all. I mean, we're not going to design something to try to screw people up, but certainly if we don't have them in mind and input in mind, it's going to be easy for us to miss the mark. And we have had things like that happen before. I mean, we're, we're dealing something with something right now, for instance, with our controller where we were so focused on driving a controller to market that was safer, and it is safer. It's abundantly safer. 
However, the logic, the coding, the the interface isn't what it needs to be for contractors. So we're now in the process of racing backwards to try to get something out right. But, you know, our focus wasn't to go out and say, hey, we, here's something new and different. It's better. It was from a safety perspective. And from that view, we hit the mark and we're excited about that. We have a safer product. It's harder for people to to put them themselves or their employees in harm's way. But at the same token, we know we missed the mark on some other things. And now we're kind of racing backwards. We're not going to compromise on safety, but we know we absolutely need. And, and what's been driving this recent change is our customer's feedback, our contractor's feedback. So, you know, we've got really a six-month plan to kind of reinvent the programming mm-hmm. So, you know, here we are in May, you know, by the end of the year, we're thinking we'll have this project wrapped up and get it out to customers. And then we're releasing it in phases. So really over probably the next 60 days, we'll see phase one. That should help out pretty quick up front initially. And then as we unpack the, you know, phases, probably every 30 to 60 days after that until we get through the project, um, see where it lands, but we're we're excited. Unfortunately, you know, it's caused some of our customers some pain along the way. So. Well, I mean, ultimately, though, that sounds great and and very groundbreaking in terms of your goal was to help the safety situation, and you nailed that. So now we got to go back and I suppose look at user friendliness and trainability and those types of things as well. But uh, what a great place to start in yeah. terms of of starting with safety. So. One of the topics we've delved into a lot here on construction disruption is the idea of offsite construction. And, you know, we had one guest, Gary Fleischer, and Gary works a lot with modular construction where they build whole units and crane them out, maybe using wire rope slings. I don't know. I'm sure they do, yeah. (laughs) Crane them out onto job sites and onto foundations. But then we've also had a couple of guests who talked about panelized building. And I know that I think it's been hard for a lot of us in the metal roofing industry to get our heads around that possibility of some sort of pre-assembly that could take place. Just kind of curious, and this is way out of the blue, not something you and I had talked about talking about, but do you think our industry may have some ground that we can potentially make up there in terms of pre-assembly of metal components or faster ways to install on the job site by moving that more of that work into the manufacturing arena. I've seen a lot of these things. I mean, there's a lot of cool technology, you know, a lot of companies kind of, I guess, startups out there that are doing a lot of things like this. I think it really boils down to the assembly and how things come together. Just as a rule of thumb, we typically say, hey, metal panels don't leak. Metal panels don't leak. It's really the trim that does. So if you're, you know, if you've got a roof face and then you need to have an interface with another roof face via a valley, via a hip, things like that, how can you accommodate that? Because ultimately that interface, that stitching together of those two things is where the opportunity for water intrusion is ultimately going to be. You know, one of the other challenges, I think, from a standing seam perspective is, you know, it's not designed to be assembled, then taken apart, moved, assembled, taken apart, you know. So that could be a challenge. I mean, you don't want to handle standing seam, really any painted metal, you don't want to handle it too much. 
you know, some products out there that could do well with that might be like stainless steels or or things that kind of lend themselves to additional handling without needing to worry about the aesthetic appeal of it getting worn or too much handling. You know, there's some products that don't mind being scratched that aren't going to rust out or white rust. And uh, so there's opportunity there. I mean, I don't think we've dedicated a whole lot of uh, brain power to saying, hey, what if we did this? I think we're still more focused on making things happen at the job site level. You know, it's interesting. I've uh, been doing some research the last couple of years into um, what I call building integrated solar. So various types of solar metal roofing, solar shingles. And as I've looked at those, you know, I've seen that so many of the companies that have developed those have not been from the roofing industry. And that's caused them to have some pretty unique ideas and approaches to how they're going to do the assembly of those systems. Uh, in some cases, they're even metal systems. Some cases, they're polymers. But, you know, the fact that you've got people entering our traditionally our space coming from other skills and, and training uh, has been really interesting in terms of bringing some new ideas. So it's pretty cool, especially some of the stuff coming out of Europe. And I'm excited to see the next few years and, and what all that brings. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it's very interesting. Do you see BIPV coming back or, or you know, the, the thin... Thin cell laminates, the the peel and stick laminates. Do you I, think that'll come I, I have not seen it so much in the thin film. What we're seeing is some of the solar shingle type products that I understand some of their technology is close to thin film, but again, it's all pre-assembled in a factory. Yeah, it's encapsulated. Right. Yeah. A lot of times between two layers of glass or something. And but where I've seen some really unique thought processes are how they're going to assemble those on the roof and do it in a fairly rapid fashion. Of course, they're also dealing with wiring and connections and things like that as well. No, I've not seen a lot with thin film, and I've seen a few disasters with thin film as well, which I, I think surprised all of us where uh, we learned if that stuff was not really well laminated and water got underneath the uh thin film, that's a disaster waiting yeah. to happen at some and, point. And we used to be a distributor for a, a thin film application. And in theory and concept, it was awesome. Right. You know, a lot of the pitfalls were were just that, the install, as well as, you know, the, the lack of efficiency. I mean, I think we were talking about a product that was pretty much maxed out at about 9% efficient. And everything, I mean, most everything out there is 20 plus today uh, without even blinking. So... I've thought about, you know, what could you do? I mean, it's almost like you have a blank canvas south-facing roof deck. If you could put a blanket of solar panels underneath of it and come up with a way to roll form a, a polycarbonate standing seam type system to still people give people that look. I don't know. I mean, there's there's a number of different ways to quote-unquote skin that cat, but... I've really been anxious to see some of the technology because, I mean, we're talking about when that kind of thin film kind of faded out was about 2011, right. 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And we've really been trying to push people towards, you know, like a, a clamped on solution using traditional solar panels with like an S5 clamp or something like that, which helps you out with some of the the... I guess, heat issues that some of the thin films have been having or thin films had, I should say, where, you know, the roof deck overheats and you have big 
beautiful sunny day and you get the degradation because the the roof deck gets too hot you know with the solar panel up off the deck i mean we've seen much better results there than we ever saw with the uh, thin films and i'm right there with you my advice has been traditional pv panels clamped on the standing seam or if they really want a metal shingle you know we've got bracket uh, mounts for that as well but i do think there's a lot of progress being made out there in the building integrated uh, metal shingles in particular and other types of solar shingles that uh, I, th I think are going to play a role but similar situation going on not near the efficiency and performance as far as energy and i've seen other things where people you know where most metal roofing today is cool everything's got to be cool well uh, people reaching out to us saying, hey, I need something with as low of an SRI as possible and making like an encapsulated deck that has a heat transfer. So they want to get that deck as hot as they can and create something that's going to create heat, which they're going to try to transfer into energy for various processes in the home, whether it's a hot water heater or to uh, drive that into the ground and and create a thermal system, you know, for their house as a byproduct of what's happening on the roof, which is really cool. So no, nah, it's good stuff. There's there's a lot of progress to be made and it's exciting to see some efforts being put in those areas and uh, see some younger folks coming into our industry bringing some new thought processes and new ideas and new disciplines as well. Absolutely. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, so I have to tell you, and this is a complete surprise to you, I think, Adam, we do something here on construction disruption called rapid fire questions. Am I allowed to pass? You can pass. <laughs> no, no one's going to tell you you can't. And our audience needs to understand he has no idea what we're going to ask him. So are you up to it? I'm up for it. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, number one, worst advice you've ever been given. Worst advice I've ever been given. I don't know that I can answer that. I was going to say, you may call out the guilty person. That's the problem. Yeah, I, I don't want to. We can pass. Yeah, we can pass. pass. Okay, let's go to question number two. Who as a living person would you most enjoy having the opportunity to trade places with and why? Oh, man, I, I'm going to go current events. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm loving what Elon Musk is doing and, and not necessarily from a social impact. I mean, that's fascinating, but... What he's doing to solve big, big problems or looking at big, big problems in a unique, fascinating way. I mean, I, I love seeing what he's doing with the Boring Company and SpaceX. And then the, the obvious one is, is Tesla. But um, trying to solve just massive, massive problems um, and, and really putting his mouth, you know, putting, yeah, putting his money where his mouth is to attempt to solve these things. Yeah, that's the third time I think we've asked that question and the second time that Elon's been the an answer. So I need to get Elon on the podcast there one of these go. days. That'd be fun. Okay, if you question number three, if you had to eat a crayon, what color of crayon would you choose to eat? Probably blue. I just happen to, you know, I've got little kids and they ask me what my favorite color is. So I guess I have to have a favorite color and it tends to be blue. So we'll just go with that. Well, no, no advice here to eat crayons. I don't want to pass that along to your kids. But, yeah, uh, we, we have. Yeah, we have we have funny crayon eating jokes in my house. Though. <laughs> uh, question number four. Any thoughts on what your bucket list vacation would be? Oh man, I, I've done it. It was, I was, say, it was done my, a lot. not a lot of vacations, but uh, my my honeymoon was the best. We went to a place called Cat Island in the Bahamas, 
And we went right before a hurricane hit. So we're flying in when everybody else is flying out. At baseline, it's the most secluded behemoth island. And then everyone ran out of there. And we would go 30 miles away from where we were staying. And people would say, oh, you guys are the the only people on the island this week. And um, we literally had a island to ourselves. It was amazing. So that's like right up my alley. That's cool. Good stuff. Next question. Do you prefer the top or bottom half of a bagel? Top half, for sure. I'm right there with you. Man, I have found some bottom half people, though, and I, I don't understand that. What's the, what's the benefit? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't understand that. It's all doughy. And... Next question. Morning or evening person? When do you feel most productive, morning or evening? Morning, by morning. far. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to crash at about 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ready for bed when my wife's geared up, so... <laughs> So last question, saw this hilarious meme once where someone took a picture of some homemade vehicle and it said, this is the car that we all drew when we were in second grade. But anyway, that isn't my question. Question, think back to you when you were a kid, what was your dream car? Oh, probably the Jetsons. (laughs) I mean, something that can fly. You didn't have to be on the road. You didn't have to deal with traffic all that much. I saw the other day that we're kind of living in the Jetsons age right now in terms of time period. I think I saw that too. Shorten your commute. Good stuff. Anything we haven't talked about today that you'd like to share with our audience? I would say uh, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in the metal roofing world, you know, and, and we're always open to, you know, people helping us kind of, you know, what's going to work best for contractors, whether it's the Sheffield side or the new tech side. I mean, we develop plans and strategies uh, with with the best laid plans. I mean, we certainly don't do anything to say, oh, this is going to screw our customers up. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we set a plan and set a strategy, we love feedback. I tell, you know, my team all the time, you know, candor, please, please be honest. I mean, and if there's anything that we can do, you know, better, you know, we want to extend that to our customers because that's really what's going to help drive the innovation, not just for us, but the industry on whole. So. Yeah, and ours is such a great industry, I think, in that respect, and that we all realize that a rising tide raises all ships. Absolutely. And, um, we see that that growth and development is going to occur as an industry, and uh, that's good stuff. Well, hey, if folks wanted to get in touch with you, what would be their uh, easiest or best way of doing that? LinkedIn is probably the best way. I get pinged on that multiple times a day, and it also flows to my email. Yeah, that's probably the best best way. Fantastic. Adam, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. This has been a real pleasure. I enjoyed uh, visiting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was pretty humbling to to be invited on here by you, so I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, audience, so much for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with Adam Mazella of the Mazella Companies, including Sheffield Metals International and New Tech Machinery. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We always have more great guests on tap. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Until next time, though, change the world for someone. Make them smile. Encourage them. Two very powerful things we can do to change the world. God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption.